So um, I want to also say that we have started today um, a mini-series that my son and I are going to be doing together. It's called uh, It's Complicated, a little relationship series. So how many of you have any kind of relationship, friendship, relationship, anybody? Okay, I just want to make sure you're all aware because that's an all play. Everybody raising your hand online. Online, you can give us a little like or whatever, a little heart and thumbs up or raise your hand. But everybody has relationships. And relationships are the key to life. It is the single greatest source of joy and pain or, I'm sorry, joy and peace or pain and sorrow, right? Still seeing if y'all are paying attention. (laughs) But it's true. It's relationships are in our everyday lives. We all have them. If you have grown up, if you have gone through adolescence, if you've had a family, you've actually been to Relationship University of how to handle your family, how to handle relationships. You've either learned from your family to sweep things under the rug, or you've learned how to yell the loudest so that you can be the winner of the argument, right? Or somewhere in between there. But your families um, are the first kind of tutorial, if you will, on how to have relationships. But even if you're even if you um, have, you know, your family and friends, if you're spouse or coworker or whatever, there's just relationships that are complicated. There's just things that are complicated within them. And even on Facebook, Facebook even knows this. When you're setting up your profile, there is a part where it has relationship status. And so it has like in, in a dating relationship, engaged, married, single, and then it has an option, it's complicated. Okay, like seriously, look on it. Um, I was scared to do, um, I, was, I was just checking to make sure it was still there when I was doing mine. I was like, hopefully this doesn't save and I'm going to show that I'm, you know, in a complicated relationship. So I had to make, although it is sometimes, but. Um, so anywho, um, but we have complicated relationships and there's just some that, you know, I think that terminology, it's complicated, should be saved, saved for the relationships that you are required to have, like your family. You know, you have to. You have to have those people. You kind of have to have coworkers at work. You can't really get rid of some of them. So, but if you are having a relationship that is your choice, that you're choosing to be in a relationship and it's complicated, I would say cut bait and run. Okay? Drop the mic. I'm done. But seriously, why would you choose and continue to choose a complicated relationship? It's just it's crazy. But in all relationships, we need wisdom on how we handle it. And the Bible shows us how to do that. And today and next week, Pastor Devin's going to speak on discerning next week. And I'm talking about communicating today. All right, so everybody say communicating. communicating. Online, you're saying communicating, Framingham Campus, communicating. Okay, today's, um, the verse that we need to look at is Proverbs 13, 20. And it says, walk with the wise and become wise for a companion of fools suffers harms. So the Bible tells us there are certain people that we should be walking with and certain people we should not be walking with. The Bible says that about certain people. So we need to incorporate that in our lives. We have to have wisdom. So we're going to give you, between now and next week with Pastor Devin, we're going to give you some practical wisdom from, directly from the Bible in this series. And the series' big idea is the people skills you need for the relational problems you face. Okay, all of you, raise your hand that you all have relationships. You all have relationships. And we need the wisdom and the skills to handle all these complicated relationships. So there's a lot of information out there about relationships in the world. There's books and there's seminars and podcasts and all these things. But there's one in particular that I want to highlight. And this is Drs. Les and Leslie Parrott. Anybody heard of them? Okay, some of you have probably read their books. 
Um, they have a book called I Love You More. It's about dating relationships. They have a book, um, a couple of books, Saving Your Marriage Before It Starts. They have a book, Saving Your Second Marriage Before It Starts. That could be a great thing for some of you as well. Um, and they also have one called Crazy Good Sex. And all the men were like, what? who was the name of that author? Let's, let me get that. It's Doctors Less and Leslie Parrott, for those of you who are clicking your Amazon thing account right now. Let's get that book, honey. But Doctors Less and Leslie Parrott are based out of Seattle, uh, Washington, and they wanted to teach in a university. They thought, this is, we're teaching you know, students all across the nation about business and accounting and education and nursing and all these things, but we're not teaching them about relationship skills. So they did their due diligence. They figured out how they could um, put a proposal together and go to this university in Seattle and kind of offer as a, you know, we would like to do this. We'd like to teach this class. So the first time they went before the board, they shot them down. They said, thanks, but no thanks. Not a necessity. They thought, you know what? We're not giving up. They went a second time, shot them down. Third time they go, the first couple times they had, the board had reasons like, well, there's not a book for it. Well, they were like, okay, well, we'll write one. Well, that's easy. Okay, well, there's no test for it. We'll make up some tests. We'll make it complicated if you want, but whatever. So finally, the third time they came and went before the board, they said, all right, you know what? We'll give it a shot, but here's some things. It has to be pass-fail. It has to be a general elective, like a not required. you got to find a classroom that's not being used, and you're not going to get compensated. So they were like, okay, we'll do it because so, they're passionate about something when you, you do it, even if you're not getting paid, right? So they found a classroom with about 12 chairs in it, and they thought, you know what? Even if we get half of these chairs filled, we'll build it, we'll word of mouth, you know, people, students will like it, and then it'll get bigger, and we'll just grow it. So comes the first morning of registration. Within an hour and a half, the, doc, the Dr. Parrott got a call from the registrar, and he said, Dr. Parrott, we're going to have to change your classroom. And Dr. Parrott was like, gosh, that stinks. I didn't think anybody was using it. You know, what happened? Somebody need the space? And they were like, no, sir, you didn't cap your, the limit on how many, how many students could enroll. And we have 350 registrants right now, and it's only an hour and a half in, and we have three days to go. <laughs> Clearly, those students wanted to know, how do I have a healthy relationship? So 16 years later, they are still doing it, and he said that nothing has changed. They are still not getting compensated, but they have full classes and waiting lists. So... One thing he used to tell all of his classes is he would say, you don't have to take any notes for the whole semester, but you want, I want you to write one thing down. So he said, this is, everybody write this down, not you. He's, this is, I'm Dr. Parrot now. <laughs> Dr. Parrot, you don't have to write it down. But he said, if you try to build intimacy with another person before you have gotten whole on your own, all your relationships become an attempt to complete yourself and will fall flat. Now, that's not just talking about a dating relationship. It's talking about all the relationships you have, your friendships. If you're looking for your family members to complete you or your friendships to complete you or, or make you whole, they will all fall flat. You, no one will ever complete you except for Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? amen? Okay, so if you're in a relationship, dating, married, whatever, I want you to look at your spouse, your partner, and I want you to say, you do not complete me. Why are you laughing? I said to say it. You, you do not complete me. There is only one Jerry Maguire. You complete me. And he ain't even real. Come on. Okay, nobody's going to complete you. But I could say to my husband, you don't complete me, but you compliment me. There's a big difference. You do not, no one can complete you. 
So, <laughs> peanut gallery over here, my husband saying, uh-huh, I can compliment you. And I compliment you too, babe, right? <clears throat> okay. So, today, um, the only way you, well, I want to talk about the only way you can have healthy relationships is if you're healthy and whole yourself, and that's through true identity in Jesus Christ, and we're going to talk about more about that more at the end. But today's big idea is that communicating is the key factor in having healthy, non-complicated relationships. And even if you communicate clearly and biblically, like I'm going to tell you today, you're still going to have some complicated relationships, right? Because people are just prickly sometimes and porcupine people. But communication is one of the top three reasons why marriages fail in particular is because there's no communication or there's bad communication. So why is communicating so complicating? It's because of what's within us. We think, well, you're not handling that the way I think you should, or you're not doing what I think you should, or you're doing what you shouldn't be doing, and I don't think you should be doing that, so I'm mad at you, or you're not speaking very nicely to me, and I don't like it. It's Usually it's within us that something is happening that we don't like, and so that causes some complication in our relationships. James 4, 2, look at your Bible verse there. It says, what, cause, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Do they not come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and you covet, but you cannot have what you, act, what you want. You quarrel and fight. You, have, you do not have because you do not ask God. But here's the thing is that it's from within us. So we have to learn to control ourselves before we come into these relationships and, and have, be able to communicate clearly what we're trying to get people to hear us or listen to us. So I, I want to tell you about two different master communicators in my life that I just love so much. And those are my two grandsons, master communicators, okay? They try to communicate so clearly to get what they want. So my first grandson is Zion. That's Pastor Devin and Natalia's son. And he's the singer of the two of them. He's the singer of the whole family. He just loves to sing. And, you know, he gets his foot going and he's doing this. And singer and a dancer. Takes after his mommy there. Um, but here's the thing is that when he's, he loves to sing. And so there's one particular song that is his favorite song that we sing. So when I know that he wants to sing and I know that that's the song he wants, I don't always start with that one. I start with about four others that I know he doesn't want. And he'll go, no, no, no. And I'll start, I mean, I'm singing like twinkle, twinkle, no. A rat a tat, tat no. You know, and he gets louder each time. No, no, no. And then he starts getting sad, no. And then I start singing the one that he wants, and he goes, yeah. <laughs> He's learned how to communicate so that I give him what he wants, right? Okay, the other grandson is the eater of the bunch. He eats like, well, he eats more than I do. And he, is, he just loves food. So he just recently got introduced to Cheerios. Well, he can't hardly speak, you know, clearly. So he was trying to tell his mother what he wanted. So I'm going to show you a video so that you can see this master communicator. And just watch, watch the little lip quiver. It's just crazy. You want chicken nuggets? What? Chicken? Cheerios? Oh, you want Cheerios? You had Cheerios for breakfast, though. So we're going to have chicken nuggets and broccoli. Cheerios. Mama. I love you. <laughs> I love it when he, he figures out that she's figured it out, and he's like, choo, choo, go get it. 
He's figured out how to get what he wants. Now, how many of you know if he was pitching a fit and screaming and crying on the ground, that wouldn't be quite as cute and you wouldn't be getting any Cheerios? But because he's like, he gives the little lip quiver, like, choo-choo. It's like, rain down the Cheerios. We're sending Cheerios from Massachusetts. And, you know. But they've learned how to communicate so that they get their way. I mean, they do usually get their way with Poppy and Tachi. Parents don't hear that. You don't hear that. Um, Not really, they don't. But um, they're communicating, and that's what we need to learn how to do, is we need to learn how to communicate so that people actually listen to us, okay? And there's a difference between hearing and listening. Hearing is a courtesy, but listening is a compliment. So there's, you know, when my husband will sit there, and he's in his, uh, you know, lounge chair or whatever. He's typing away or something. I'll, I used to come in and go, babe, um, can I tell you something? He's like, yep. And he's just keeping working, you know. And um, I start talking, you know, and he's like, mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, honey, are you listening to me? And he's like, yeah, honey, I, I hear you. Are you listening to me? I know you hear something going on, some kind of, you know, oh, but I need you to listen to me. So now I've learned, I come in and I stand there and I go, babe, let me know when I can ask you something. And I wait for him to stop what he's doing, and then I talk to him, okay? Because I want him to listen, not just hear. So I'm at, today I'm going to give you some examples of um, some biblical example, uh, one biblical example of how we need to communicate so that people will actually listen to us. There's great communicators in the Bible. Jesus, of course, was the greatest one. But I chose a different character today to talk about, and that is Joseph. So I am assuming that most of you would know Joseph's story, so I'm, I'm just going to highlight certain parts. But it is in your notes of where the chapter is in Genesis about his story, and I want you to read that. I encourage you to read it because it's so important. Online, make sure that you've got your, you have your Bible and you can just sit down and read Genesis 37 to the end, and it's awesome, awesome story. Um, and so it hap- starts in Genesis 37 is Joseph's story, and he is a 17-year-old kid who is his father's favorite son. And he has 12 other half-brothers who all don't like him already because he basically tattled on them sometimes when they were out in the fields doing their shepherding skills. He went and told on them. So um, they already had a beef towards him, but then Joseph had these two dreams. Now, granted, they were from God, and they, were, they ended up being the correct, uh, it was true what, what had happened. But he comes out with, you know, like, I'm all that in a bag of chips. He comes out and says, hey, I had this dream. And he has it two different times, and he comes and tells them both times, I dreamed that all of y'all, well, he didn't say all y'all, probably. <laughs> all of you, my brothers, are going to bow down before me. And they're like, who is this punk kid, you know? Then he goes and tells his father, and his father scolds him, okay? So Joseph did not communicate with humility, right? That's your first point, is that we're, this, the first point is what not to do. Joseph did not communicate with humility. Um, clearly, uh, he was a truth teller, and we're going to see that throughout his uh, through his story and his life, but he didn't communicate with humility so that people would listen to him. And sometimes we communicate in certain circumstances with, we come in with certainties and accusations and we are guns a-blazing because we're going to get our point across. And has that ever worked for anybody? No. Okay. But how do you want people to listen to you? You come in and humility leads with questions. Say that. Humility leads with questions. If you're watching online, you can go ahead and type that in. Humility leads with questions. Because you come in and you're not guns a-blazing. You're actually, you know what? Something might have been going on with them that day that they acted like a fool, as we might say in the South, you know? They, 
they might have had some, some of the worst news they've gotten. They might be going through something with their family. You never know. So the first way to do it is, is come in and just say, hey, are you okay? Because like that behavior back there, you know, that what, what you said in the office, you know, that just wasn't like you naturally. I mean, are you okay? You know, it's like you're just not sure. Even your face, the way you communicate shows humility. You're not coming in going, you acted like a jerk in there and you said all these things that you didn't even know anything about. Okay, are they going to listen to you when you come in like that? No. Do you listen to anybody when they come to you like that? No. Okay, so we want to ask questions. Are you doing okay? You know, maybe, here, here's a great line, you should write it down if you have to confront people, is, you know, maybe you don't know that you're coming across that way, maybe you don't mean to, but this is what it sounds like when you say this, when you act like that, when you have that face look on your face, you know. My kids used to go, Mom, when you get mad, your eyes get huge. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Just kidding. It's true. But, so I've learned when I'm in the middle of confronting somebody, I'm, um, I keep, like, my voice in my head is, keep your eyes small, keep your eyes small. Put your eyebrows down. You know, guys probably in confrontation, they're like bowing up, and I'm like, my eyebrows are going way up here, you know. Everybody has their own thing, right? You got to know yourself. So, but I want to give you a verse. It says, it's 1 Peter 5, 5, and it says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. How many times have you come in, guns ablazing, you're accusing, and you find out something, a piece of information that you didn't know before, and then you're like, oh, <laughs> that changes everything. It's like, yeah, ooh. But if you had humility going in, you could learn that piece of information, and then you don't have to go back and apologize later because you've just blown it. You've blown your testimony. You've, you know, acted crazy. Um, Proverbs 11:2 says, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but humility comes wisdom. With humility comes wisdom. We need wisdom in all the things that we're going to be talking about in this series, in communicating and discerning. We need wisdom on what relationships to have. We need, we need wisdom on how to communicate, how to discern, all these things. So Colossians 3.12 is another Bible verse that says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion Kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. All of those character traits could be, you know, under the umbrella of humility. You need to make sure that we have humility when we're going in. But just because we communicate with humility doesn't mean we abandon truth. Okay? So this is point number two is you've got to communicate the truth with truth. Back to Joseph's story. Genesis 40 and 41 tell the parts about his story where he was actually wrongly accused. He was thrown in prison. While he was in prison, he met two people that were in the Pharaoh's court before, and they both had two dreams. So Joseph, because a gift that God had given him, was able to interpret dreams. So he interprets these two guys' dreams. Well, one had a favorable outcome, and the other one was not so favorable. Basically, he was going to be beheaded. <laughs> so Joseph, being the truth teller that he was, told the truth and what the dreams meant. But in all these years of Joseph being in prison and being sold into slavery, when his, his brothers actually got so mad that they sold him into slavery, he was in Egypt, and he learned to handle the truth a little bit differently than he handled it the first time with arrogance, you know? He learned to, have, to still speak the truth, but to be a little bit more humble about it. And so because he interpreted these two men's dreams, it actually landed him in a spot where he was able to interpret the Pharaoh's dreams later down the road, two years later. 
Okay, again, read the story for the details behind it. I'm just going to highlight these certain things. But he was placed as second command of all of Egypt because he was a truth teller, because he interpreted the dreams correctly and accurately. Um, So his delivery and timing was very important. But some people think that because we're Christians, we're not supposed to speak truth to people that it's mean or it's, you know, it's ungodly or I can't tell them that. That's just, that's just rude. But you know what? Some people need to know the truth in order to be set free. Some people can't, no one can see the back of your head. That's your blind spot. And you need people around you. You need friends and relationships to help you with that blind spot. But sometimes, you know, it needs to be communicated nicely. We call it the American Idol Syndrome. Okay, it's like people get up on stage and Simon Cowell all of a sudden says, you mean no one's ever told you that you can't sing? You know, I'm not, I do better animal noises than human people. But, you know, no one's ever told you that. I've had friends that I'm like, I would say something, you know, maybe you don't know how this sounds when you say this. And like, they're shocked. I'm like, no one, no friend has ever told you that? They're like, No. I'm like, well, honey, you need new friends. I need friends that are going to tell me, you know, you got something on your back or you got a broccoli in your teeth. You know, you got to have friends that tell the truth. So, but sometimes people think that, well, I shouldn't tell the truth. So then they become passive aggressive. They, they think that's a better, you know, godly example of being passive aggressive. No, it is all in how you speak the truth. So you've got to speak the truth, but um, you need to... Sp- be careful with how you do it. And look, I want you to look at Ephesians 6.14. And this is the, the chapter in the armor of God. And it says, chapter 6.14 says, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Okay, let me explain why they correlated it to a belt. Okay, when you put on a belt, you know, you put it in and then you have to pull it back and there's a little bit of tension before that little lever goes into the hole, right? Okay, so you're pulling it back. Like when, when Derek's using his... Um, weight lifting belt, you know, he's like actually having other people help him pull it way back. And it's like, he's like, you know, and there's tension. Okay. Because sometimes when you're putting, when you're speaking the truth, there is tension. There's an uncomfortability. But as soon as you've spoken the truth, if you handle it biblically, then it then sits comfortably on your waist after that tension. And sometimes the only comfortability comes from just the way you've handled it. You know that you have handled it godly and biblically and you've been humble about it, but you've communicated truth, right? Okay, so sometimes if you, if you don't pull that belt on, that belt of truth, you could get caught with your pants down. That would be scary, okay? So we, we have to be able to tell the truth. We have to be able to speak truth. Um, we are, let me show you another verse that shows how important it is to handle the truth after you've known the truth or what you think you know is truth. It's Psalm 15, 1 through 3. It says, Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? The one whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their heart, whose tongue utters no slander, who does no wrong to a neighbor and casts no slur on others. Okay, so after you think you've gotten the whole truth, which You sometimes don't know the whole truth. We think we do, but we don't know the whole truth, right? Only God knows the whole truth. But here's the thing. You think you know the truth, 
And then how you handle it afterwards, if you go and you gossip about your boss that you think you know this truth, or you gossip to other coworkers, or your friends about other friends, what does it say? It says, whose tongue utters no slander, who does no wrong to a neighbor and casts no slur on others, okay? Slander is just talking bad about somebody. Cast no slur, that's, you're discrediting somebody's reputation. So even if you know the truth, even if you think you know the truth and you have confronted the truth and then you go and cast slur on them and discredit their reputation, who I'm stepping on some toes, I'm sure, is it says, if you back up to it, it says, who can stand in your sacred tent? Who could stand on your holy mountain? That means if you don't do the, or if you do do these things, you might not be standing on that holy mountain one day because you've gossiped and you haven't handled the truth biblically. I know it's quiet. Okay. But it's so important that we understand we've got to handle truth with wisdom, with godly principles in, in place. And that means we don't talk about it after the fact. You cannot disrespect other people's um, reputation. And the truth is so important because, like I said, it can set people free. But it, one of the verses that says in, um, well, let me, let me go back to, with, with this truth that you know, that you are able to uh, handle it carefully and protect the people who you've confronted with, okay? So let me get to this. Truth is what you say, but how you say it is handled with grace. So that's point number three. You need to communicate with grace. Okay, and a lot of times um, we don't, we think, okay, I can't, I'm not going to speak the truth, so I'm going to be passive aggressive, and then we, we do speak it, we're not gracious about it. Let me show you what Joseph did. This is such a powerful example of um, showing people grace. This is in Genesis 45 and really goes to the end of the, um, the whole book of Genesis. But, so he's second in command of, over all of Egypt, there was a famine in the land because there were seven years of plenty and then they had seven years of famine. Well, the whole world, the Bible says the whole world was having famine. And so everybody came to Egypt to get their rations of grain. Well, Joseph was the one in charge of that. So his brothers in Israel, they, Jacob, their father, sends the brothers and says, go get us some grain. So they come in not knowing that it's Joseph because he's in his full garb. He's in his, you know, he's using an interpreter. But Joseph sees that it's his brothers. Okay. And so he starts to test them, and there's like three chapters worth of testing, and this is where, you know, Pastor Devin's going to speak on next week. You need to discern. He had, there's some testing that needs to take place to discern if he needed to have a difference of relationship or a change of relationship with his brothers or how things were going to go. He wanted to see if their heart were still the, hearts were still the same. So he's ready to reveal himself because he does see that their hearts have changed, that they're, you know, they've done a little contemplating about how their behaviors sold their brother. They even mention it. Um, so he's getting ready to reveal himself who he is. And when he does, he's literally so gracious. He's gracious in it. I put myself, you know, like when I'm reading Bible stories, I like to put myself in the situation or in that person's shoes. And I'm literally tearing up like, can you imagine? These brothers sold him. They were ready to kill him. And he is just, he's going to give them grain to save their lives. He's going to save their families. And he was so gracious. In fact, so gracious and forgiving that he actually lets them off the hook. He finally reveals himself. He cries and he hugs them. And he's just, it's like a big party. 
And he says to them, he lets them off the hook. He says, don't be angry with yourselves. It's not you who sent me. God sent me here ahead of us, ahead of you, so I could save your lives. To the people that were ready to take his life, he was ready to save their lives. That's grace in a nutshell. He, he says it multiple times of, you know, even when he sends them back with the grain to their father and their families, he actually says to them, and don't argue amongst yourselves about this. Basically saying, don't be mad. Like, still, don't blame each other. Like, this is okay. This is what God's plan is. We need to be gracious. Colossians 4, 6 says, let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So if you're communicating with a humble attitude, you're speaking the truth, and, and you can point people to Christ. You can point people to um, show the love of Christ, even in just how you handle correction or how you give correction. If you're on the receiving end or the, the giving end, it's all about handling the truth with grace. Um, the Bible says, this, this verse is not in your notes, but you can write it down. It's Proverbs 3, verses 3 and 4, and it says, Kindness and loyalty will gain you favor from both God and people and earn you a great reputation. How many of you want a great reputation? Okay, four of you. Awesome. Okay. <laughs> I want a great reputation because that is what is godly and it's, it's, it's biblical. And here's the thing is that in 2 Thessalonians 5.18, God gives us and he tells us that he has given us the reconciliation, the, the ministry of reconciliation. In the Amplified Bible, it says that, that so that by our example, we might bring others to know him. You can do that. You can bring people to know Christ just by your example without having to tell them, you know, Jesus loves you, turn and burn. You don't, you know, read the good book, read the Bible. You know, you don't have to say anything about Jesus. You can actually, just by your behavior alone, bring people to know Christ. And we are required as Christ followers to be peacemakers. I want you to say, I'm a peacemaker. And Framingham, you can say, I'm a peacemaker. Online, you can give us a little peace sign. Say, I'm a peacemaker. Type it in. Whatever you can do, you are a peacemaker in all your relationships. And you may say, Stacey, you do not know my family. You do not know my boss. You do not know the people that I work with. This one late, oh my gosh, you don't know her. I know some people. I know some porcupine people. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't say, you know, that we have the gift of reconciliation to the people that are easy to reconcile to the Lord. It says we have it, and we're supposed to be peacemakers. We're supposed to bring peace into all of our circumstances. And you might, you know, you might be the one that, has a, um, that doesn't have a good reputation. You've been kind and loyal, and you've done everything right, and somebody doesn't like you because you've confronted them on certain things. But here's the thing. You are still called to be a peacemaker. You are still called to, I mean, this is not scriptural, but kill them with kindness. Like, just be kind. You know, when you are walking in the freedom of that you've handled it with humility, you've spoken the truth with grace, you can actually be confident in knowing I handled it right. That's where that comfortability sets with your, with your belt of truth. And I know that I have to show the love of Jesus no matter what somebody else is doing. I'm not responsible for anybody else's behavior. I'm responsible for my own. 
And when you communicate with these three things in mind, humility, truth, and grace, you are doing what God's called you to do. And he will anoint that. But here's the thing, is that sometimes you go, I I can't do it. I I can't handle difficult people. I can't handle complicated relationships. And you're right, sometimes we can't in our own self, in our own flesh. It requires the grace of Jesus Christ and a relationship with him to actually ask him to help you to handle these complicated relationships in a biblical way. You can see a person that you've had a complicated relationship with and, and you can speak life to them. You can be kind to them. You can say, hey, how's it going? And they may not like you, but if you've handled it correctly, you can walk with your head held high. You can just be kind. You can show them the love of Christ. You can reconcile them to Christ. So let let me, in closing, I want you to, to see our final thought for today. Like I said, you're not responsible for anybody else's behavior, but we are responsible for the stewardship of our own lives. And by communicating biblically, the things that we just talked about, we're not held hostage by the feelings and expectations within complicated relationships. We are responsible for ourselves and for our actions, and we can do the things that God's calling us to do if we rely on him. Can I have you stand this morning? And if you're watching online, I want you to stay with us. Because I want to pray for you. I, like I said, you may not be able to handle these kinds of situations on your own flesh. I know I can't. I know I, um, you know, I might communicate with humility. But that's not my first reaction. My first reaction is a bunch of arrogance. Like, I'm going to tell you this. And that's, I need grace to be able to have the first reaction be humble. I want that. And the only way I can do that is through my relationship with Jesus Christ, asking him to change me. And if you have never given your life to Christ, I'm going to give you an opportunity. I'm not going to embarrass anybody or call you down front or anything. I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand in just a second. And if you're online, you can tap the banner down below, and that will tell us that you want to give your life to Christ when that pops up. But this is the most important decision of your life. It secures your eternity, but it also helps you in the here and the now. And how many of you know we need help in the here and the now when we're dealing with complicated relationships? If you'll bow your, he- bow your heads and close your eyes, please. I want to ask you that and the online campus can join in right here and Framingham Campus Pastor, come on up. But I want to ask if you have never given your life to Christ and you want to do that right now, I just want you to shoot your hand up and say, yes, that is me. I want to give my whole life to Christ. I thank you. I see your hand. Again, if you're watching online, go ahead and tap that banner. If you're in Framingham, you may be watching this, you know, year later than what this date is. Go ahead. You, you, don't, you don't have to be in this building. You don't have to be in a building or in a church. You can be in your living room because Jesus sees you. He sees your hand. He sees your hand. He sees your hand. And I'm gonna, we're all going to pray together. If you'll just join me, everybody, my brothers and sisters in Christ. Dear Jesus, I thank you for what you did for me on the cross. I know that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, and I call on you today. I believe in my heart, and I confess with my mouth that you are my Lord. And I'm so grateful for the work that you're doing in my life and that you're going to continue to do in Jesus' name. Amen. And I want to I say this too. I want to pray for a group of people. If you know that you need, you can bow your heads or you don't have to bow your heads, but I think this is, 
everybody needs this, is just prayer and how to handle complicated relationships. And I want to pray for you today. If that's you, you can raise your hand again. You can online, you can tap the banner. You just need a good dose of grace. I want to pray for you. There's hands all over the room. All right, let's bow your heads. Thank you, Jesus, that you have given us the gift of reconciliation and that, that you have equipped us. If you've called us to do it, you will equip us to do it. And so, Father, I ask that you would just anoint each one of us in here, that we would have humility, that we would speak the truth in grace, with grace, and that we would be able to reconcile people to you. We would just point people to you and the love that you have for others just in how we behave, how we confront people, how we respond to correction. Lord, I ask that you would just touch each person in here and give them uh, wisdom in all of their relationships so that we can bring honor and glory to your name. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's give God a hand for the hand for the lives that were changed today. Thank you, Jesus.